Hi, I'm Mac. Hi, I'm Abigail. And this is Unsubs. This is the podcast where we recap, rate, and review all 324 episodes of Criminal Minds. Today, we're talking Season 2, Episode 22, Legacy. This one's a doozy. I love this fucking episode. I love this one, and I love the one we just did. Also, we're so close to finishing Season 2. Can you feel it? It's... I'm excited. Are we one episode away? Yeah. Yeah. Holy shit. And we will just be taking a couple week break just to give us time to process episodes. Um, but we're we're actually going to do a little record scratch and we're going to drop some additional content during those two weeks from our podcast. So you guys will have things to listen to while you're missing us. Should we do our fun facts? Yeah. My fun fact is that every three weeks I go to get my nails done and... I found out today that my manicurist is moving to Miami, and I'm so fucking pissed. Oh, no. Oh, my God, Hannah, don't leave me. Hannah, don't leave. Um, I'm trying to think of what my fun fact can be. Oh, um, my power went out. Oh, yeah. So, uh, you know, thanks to the effects of climate change and global warming, uh, we've been having a lot of storms uh, down where I live. The other uh, night on Wednesday, I was FaceTiming a friend and I was like, it's storming really bad here. Like I had to go pick up my dad because he was out running and it started to get really dark and my mom was freaking out. And so I like called him and was like, I'm going to come pick you up from where you are. Um so I did, and, like, we made it back to the house just in time. And then it started getting really dark and stormy. And then there was a loud popping sound, and our power went out. And it was, like, almost 6 p.m. And I was like, well, I'm leaving for New York tomorrow, and my clothes are literally in the wash. The clothes that I was going to pack. So that was not great. And they're like, maybe by 10 p.m. it'll come on. And I was like, well, we also have an electric stove. So now I can't make dinner. So I like, after it ended, after the storm was over, our power was still not back. So I like driving out takeout and a milkshake as consolation because I was stressed. (laughs) And the power didn't come back on until 3.50 a.m. Wow. It's been a week. It's been a special week. Oh, yeah, that's always so stressful. But you made it and you're here. You're in New York, even though we're not together. I did. I made it. The clothes, the clothes were washed. Amazing. Now I need to tell you that we are in no way, shape or form associated with Criminal Minds. And then I get to share what our rating criteria is for each episode. So everyone who's been listening knows our rating criteria is five categories, the criminal slash serial killer, the forensics and context, the character development slash character arcs, the script writing, and the background characters. 
And everyone who listened to last episode should know that Abby is recording right now in not her home, not her usual place. So you may hear some unintentional sound effects, but that's fine. (laughs) Yes, I'm currently recording at my boyfriend's recording setup. Go listen to Genre Blind. Yeah, check out Genre Blind. I'm using his computer and his mic, uh, but... It's not what we're used to, so some things might sound a little funky. But we really appreciate Diggs, one, giving you time to record, and two, um, letting Providing you use these. his stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think I just got to get into the plot. This is a, yeah, this is a... This is a fun one. Yeah. There's an old man being pushed on a gurney by a surgeon down a long yellow tiled hallway. The surgeon is whistling, and it's this whistling that wakes the old man up. The old man is dazed and confused, covered in blood. He wakes up and looks around. Is this a hospital? He asks. As they walk down the hallway, they pass a number of threatening-looking rooms with various pieces of surgical equipment in them. Did I make it out? The old man asks. But the surgeon ignores him and keeps whistling. They pass a room that looks like a straight-up crematorium, and the old man goes, This isn't a hospital. Oh, Cut to BAU headquarters in Quantico, Virginia. Mandy has found some reels of Charlie Chaplin and is playing them on an old-timey film projector in his office. Mandy is delighted by Charlie Chaplin. Hotch walks in and says, quote, what is this? And Mandy says, quote, it's genius. Anyways, we learn that Gideon's great-grandfather was an accountant at SNA Studios in Chicago, and when the studio closed down, he took some mementos. We learn that Gideon plans to show these reels to his cadets in his class to show them how to, quote, relieve stress. Cut to JJ's office, and she's going through potential case files because someone has to do some work around here. A Detective McGee from the Kansas City Police Department shows up. We learn that he previously spoke to J.J. last week and requested assistance, and J.J. asked him to send his files to her for review. Detective McGee advises that he doesn't have official files. He just has a theory. He advises J.J. that he was assigned the Skid Row area of Kansas City, and he has noticed that less and less people are populating the area that he's been assigned to. McGee actually was given an award last week from the mayor's office for cleaning up the crime in the Skid Row area. But McGee tells JJ that he's literally not done anything. He tells her that he believes that someone is killing homeless people and the other people that utilize that area, but he doesn't have any proof because there are no bodies. He says, quote, crime went down because the people committing the crimes have disappeared. I catalog everybody I come in contact with on the street. Um, Names, descriptions, uh, what they're wearing, identifying marks. Anyways, my department assigned me to keep an eye on downtown. Um, uh, Skid Row, dopers, um, hooker stroll, whatnot, typical stuff. And everything was going good until I started noticing there were less and less every week. Of? Of? Of them. 
less vagrants, less less prostitutes, less junkies strung out on the corners. Well, sounds to me like you're doing a good job. Yeah, that's what my bosses think. I actually uh, got an award last week from the mayor's office. Oh. So, so I'm not doing it. I don't know how I feel about the semantics of all of this, but just right. we're, we're just gonna go. We're just gonna go with it, guys. People are being people are disappearing. That's the bottom line. He tells JJ, "Quote: Over the past few weeks, people seem to be disappearing a couple every day. I can talk to somebody at lunch, and by dinner time, they've been wiped off the face of the earth." JJ is not really taking him seriously. She casually is like, well, how many people do you think have disappeared? And he stone cold goes 63. At least 63 people have disappeared. To top that off, Detective McGee got a threatening note in the mail last week um, after his award was publicized in a local paper. And the note said, quote, there are two types of people in the world. The people that do the work. And those who take the credit, you should be ashamed. Cut to the not a hospital from earlier, and we can see the old man's blood and guts being flushed down an industrial-sized train. Detective McGee and JJ brief the team on the situation, but it can't be an official case until the BAU is invited by a commanding officer, like a police chief or a chief of detectives. McGee advises that he's tried to alert his superiors, but they're not interested. Garcia asks McGee for a list of names, addresses, and descriptions, and McGee only has his notes, which are written in tiny little pocket notebooks, and he's like very sensitive about his notebooks, and he doesn't like people touching them. McGee advises that he's already run the names he has through the files, but he couldn't get any hits. Hotch and Gideon hem and haw about whether or not to take the case, and they decide to accompany McGee back to Kansas City and to offer to assist his superior. And then if his superior accepts them, the rest of the team will come flying out. McGee is very nervous about his notebooks leaving his side, and the BAU team all makes mentions of this. Hotch calls it OCD behind his back. And I just, I'm like, this is shitty. I I don't like the way they like talk about Detective McGee and they're like, oh yeah, he's so obsessed. He's so into his notebooks. And it's like, y'all. As you should be if you are a detective. Yes, you should be doing your work. I mean, literally, th- this this is the only record that anything has happened. Like, so I, I would be guarding them with my life if I put that much time and effort. And I knew this was the only thing that could possibly help these people. Also, like, when they do the profile and they later, like, mention, like, OCD and meticulous behavior, because guess what? The unsub has that, too. They flash to McGee's face just looking surprised. And I'm like, what is this fucking episode? Anyways, Hotch, JJ, and McGee travel on the private jet. Hey, girl. And they go to Kansas City. Meanwhile, Emily, Morgan, and Reed decide to create a preemptive profile on the off chance that the BAU is invited by Kansas City. Morgan instantly realizes that the unsub is a, quote, house cleaner. Reed defines this as a mission-based killer who believes that his murders are helping society. 
Morgan also points out, quote, these guys devolve rapidly until they're just killing machines. Cut to Skid Row in Kansas City. We meet Maggie, who is a lady in a full denim outfit. Or I should say she's not like a lady. Like, she's younger. I would say she's probably in her 20s. Yeah. But she's wearing a full fucking denim outfit. It is very much so not a look. (laughs) A man in a van pulls over and tells her, quote, someone wants company. And she agrees to get in the van for $500. I I don't know if this is implied that she's a sex worker. I Yeah, I took it to believe that she was a sex worker. I took it more like she was a, um, like a, like someone addicted to, I mean, she could be both. I, she's definitely addicted to some sort of drug. She's not well, but she gets, she's like, I'll get in the van for $500. And the man in the van is like super twitchy, but agrees to her stipulations. Before she gets in, she says, twitchy little thing, aren't you? Yo, pay, get in. Twitchy little thing, aren't you? She gets in the van, and then we have a quick cut to Maggie, passed out on a cement floor in an unknown location. She wakes up, rolls over, and says, What did you do to yourself, girl? She she stiffly gets up, instantly realizing that she was drugged. Her shoes are missing, and she's totally discombobulated. We, the viewers, know after seeing the old man previously that there's a 98% chance that she is currently in some, inside some sort of torture dungeon, just like we saw before. But Maggie doesn't know this. Maggie says, you took my shoes? What are you, some kind of freak? What's your little thing, aren't you? She looks around and walks to a door and bangs on it. When she finds that it's unlocked, she goes inside and finds an empty hallway and another door, but this one is red. She opens that door and finds yet another hallway with a red door, and she's still not suspicious. She still is like, you know, oh, I'm still going to have sex with this guy and I'll get my $500. She says, quote, look, if this is your idea of a joke, I'm not laughing. She goes through the red door, finds another hallway with another goddamn red door. This is like the the third or fourth red door at this point. She tries to go through that one, and it's like it's locked. She throws her weight against the door that's locked, and she bursts through, and the room is filled with broken glass. Like, so much broken glass. Like, I would like to play a game with you, a man of broken glass. And Maggie lands on her stomach in the middle of the glass. Now, you would think at this point that she realizes that she's in trouble and that the driver who brought her in the van is not her friend and she's not going to get that $500. But Maggie, ever the optimist, thinks like maybe he'll help her. She says, oh, hey, man, I'm hurting. I cut myself. Would somebody please help me? You're being so hard on her. Maggie, no one's coming to help you, girl. You're on your own. I I mean, like, you would think after she wakes up and there's no one around and she's, like, smashing through doors, like, she would get, like, a little red flag would go up. But no, it's not. And it's not even when she falls in the glass room and nobody comes to help her. 
she's still like thinking that someone, you know, that I, I don't know. When would your red flags be raised at this point? Oh, I mean, they would have gone off, but I don't think that the, I don't know. I wouldn't fault her for like hoping that maybe someone would just be like, it's a prank, you know? It's, ugh, she's an optimist. I'm not an optimist. Meanwhile, J.J. Hotch and McGee, Detective McGee, arrive in Kansas City. McGee's commander, Captain Wright, does not want the FBI's help. He is pissed at McGee. Cut to Maggie in the glass room. We know that she's being monitored because the door on the other end of the room opens. The only way out is to crawl through the glass. So she starts to have the right idea. She takes off her jean jacket and tries to clear the way as best she can using it, almost like a glove so she doesn't cut her hands. But it doesn't really work. So finally she just gives up and starts walking on the glass and then she jumps the rest of the way and lands at an awkward angle and hurts her leg. What I don't get is why she didn't just like put down her jacket like we were saying, but then like shuffle with the jacket that's what i would have done like so close (laughs) so close we love maggie to be honest we really do also i think they did her dirty in this episode by making her stupid because she's kind of stupid but like this is a really good actress and i like the character I don't know if I would say she's a good actress. I couldn't tell if it was bad writing or bad acting. Because I feel like she oscillated between being really smart and really dumb. So it was kind of hard to root for her in a way. Yeah, I mean, I, I or maybe it was like the directing choices to just make her like... I don't know. Like they, they definitely did her dirty. Like, but but it would have been weird to have like two kick ass females like Bobby back to back. You know what I mean? Because we just yeah. had Bobby being so resourceful, and I just feel like this. The you know, she just Maggie doesn't have it together. Cut back to Hotch and Captain Wright. Hotch tries to reason with Captain Wright and get him to ask for the BAU's help on the case. Wright reveals that he assigned McGee to the Skid Row section to basically get rid of him. He refuses to accept that there is a serial killer. And Hotch tells Captain Wright that 63 people missing from a localized area is a problem. And Wright says, quote, Are you kidding me? Bums? Whores? Junkies? Can these people even be missing? And Hotch says, Sir... This unsub is relatively easy to catch. Nobody else has to get hurt. What if they were cheerleaders or teachers or mothers? How did you put it? Can bums even be missing? Well, sir, they can. They can be hurt, they can be scared, and they can be killed. Just then, JJ realizes that the letter sent to McGee was postmarked in Kansas City, Michigan, which I I didn't know there was a Kansas City, Michigan, but okay. Me either. It's right across the state line, which means that the case is federal and the FBI can take over. Captain Wright is initially really pissed that the FBI is taking over, but he also kind of wants to watch the FBI burn. (laughs) 
<laughs> don't we all? So he's kind of like, knock yourselves out. And he follows the FBI around and all they're investigating and is just kind of smug about it. Cut back to Maggie in the torture dungeon. She is hurt and bleeding and suddenly the lights go out. I'm wondering, Abby, if you want to read the unsub and I'll read Maggie. Yeah. Anybody there? Hello? I cut myself in here. Do you wish to know the future? What? Would you like to see exactly how your day is going to end? The unsub projects video footage of the old man from earlier, the is this a hospital man being murdered. Oh, please. I have a baby. Her name is Sheila May. Please. I just want to go see my daughter. I know you're there. Why, why are you doing this to me? What did I do to you? What did you do? Hmm. What is the legacy of a whore, Maggie? How about AIDS, syphilis, gonorrhea, herpes, hepatitis, disease, and filth? What did you do? You were... you. I don't have any diseases. I just went to the clinic. I'm clean. You don't even know the meaning of the word. You've been judged and sentenced to death. Death? No, please. Don't kill me. I have a daughter. I will do anything you want. I assure you, I am not without compassion. You're at the center of a 130,000 square foot facility. You have until sunrise to find your way out of here. If you don't, your sentence will be carried out. You only have a few hours. Maggie, go. <laughs> Ridiculous. What the fuck? I love this so much. This is so my shit, these past two episodes. I'm just like, this is insane. It's insane. Cut to Kansas City. The rest of the team has arrived, possibly in the private jet. Hey, girl. I, I don't know how that would have worked. Uh, yeah, hey, girl, if, if that was you, girl. And they're ready to give the profile. This is the profile of house cleaner. So a cleaning house or fixing what's wrong with the world kind of killer. He has deeply rationalized this behavior. He knows that killing is wrong, but he believes that he is doing the world a great service. Ultimately, this type of unsub becomes a loner. There will not be too many people that can still tolerate him. If he does have a relationship at all, the person will not be his equal. It will be someone subservient to him. He'll be fastidious, uh, tending towards OCD. He'll have um, an overwhelming sense of indignation towards the things that he's judged to be wrong. He won't even consider the reasons why someone might disagree with him. He's likely not working. This many victims and the devolution that it brings, a job wouldn't leave him time to practice his true calling. We cut to the unsub watching Maggie through a creepy computer setup, a uh, very a la Tobias Hankel in the big game. Hey, girl. <laughs> murder, climb aboard the murder train. Also, technically, the unsub streaming. And I think at this point, I need to just suck it up and get an unsub is streaming sound effect. 
I was going to do it previously, but then I was like, nah, but it's been too many unsubs. So the unsub streaming sound effect will sound like this. We see Maggie moving some rocks that she found somewhere. Uh, who knows? Uh, she's using them to mark doors that she's already been through and to leave them open. Because remember, it's like computerized doors. So the unsub, once the door is locked, is able to open and close the door. So this is super smart of her. However, the unsub has rigged the 130,000 square foot facility, I can't, uh, with noxious gas. Maggie tries to sit down and rest. Um, Not sure why, girl, you got until sunrise to get going. But anyway, the unsub pumps this noxious gas through a stairwell, and he forces Maggie to go in a particular direction. And Maggie says, it's not fair, you son of a bitch. But she has no choice but to follow and go up the stairs. The BAU take to the streets of Skid Row and they talk to the residents. Unfortunately, none of the residents have any relevant information. However, we learned that all of the sex workers that Reed talks to proposition him. That was funny. That was funny. And Morgan has a really great convo uh, with a homeless lady. He offers to take her to a shelter and she declines. Quote, I'll take my chances in the park. At least I've got the birds I can feed there. And he says, quote, be careful. You hear me? This world needs all of its beautiful ladies. And that means you too, Mona. So Captain Wright shows up and is like, ha 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 ha, you stupid FBI. You're not finding anyone. Nobody knows what you're talking about. And all of a sudden, Morgan notices that Mona, who is the homeless lady he called beautiful earlier, and she's about to get into this social services van, and it's the middle of the night. And it's like, it says social services on it, but it's a blacked out van. It's really creepy. And Morgan, due to his contractual obligation, jumps into the van to stop the potential suspects. Per his contract? Per his contract, Morgan tackles... The, the suspect. So the BAU is like, this must be the unsub subservient partner. Cut back to Maggie. She runs into a German shepherd. Not, uh, not the dogs again. What was, what did you text me? It was so funny when you were watching this. Uh, oh, here it is. I was like 732. Uh, I was like, Morgan saying, quote, this world needs all the beautiful ladies which I really liked that line. Then, quote, Reed got propositioned by all the prostitutes. I'm fucking screaming. I simply cannot handle more dogs. (laughs) So that one text alone, yeah, was just, I simply cannot handle more dogs. Oh, let's leave the doggos out of this, guys. Um, Thankfully, Maggie gets, gets into the next room before the dog attacks. And the next room is filled with the old, the, oh, God. The next room is filled with body parts that are suspended from the ceilings, much like pieces of meat in a butcher's shop. One could almost say, a la, um, a what, a thief's code? Is that what it was called? Honor, honor among thieves. Honor among thieves. But these, the pieces of the body are the old man. And also his head is like just sitting on a table. So Maggie runs out of the room and and she falls down a flight of stairs. 
And then she sees her shoes just sitting at the bottom of the stairs. And she hurries down and then she sees more shoes, like so many shoes, like just a stack of shoes. And she's like, this is not suspicious. And then she sees that the short, the shoes kind of point out to what presumably is the door that's open to the outside. And the sun is just starting to come up. She made it, guys. She did it. Maggie did it, even though I was making fun of her. Nope, I'm lying. The unsub locks the door and sprays the whatever spray it is and knocks her out. But before she is completely knocked out, she goes, not fair. Yep. Cut to the unsub stupid subservient partner. His name is Stephen Foster, and apparently he has no bank accounts or credit cards in his name. Gideon says, quote, he devoted his entire life to helping the unsub. The unsub takes care of everything for him. In return, Stephen provides fresh victims. Captain Wright, still dubious, says, how do you know there's another guy? And Hodge is like, this guy is a pussy, that's why. No, actually what he says is, quote, does he look like he could cleanly pull off 63 murders? Also, is it okay for me to call this guy a pussy? It's fine. Should I be using a different word? Okay, I'm going to continue to call him a pussy. Also, I guess we have a team of killers again. Again. Even though we were... we were told it was rare. I, I don't know. Anyways, Hotch just goes in there and is like, yo, the unsub is like so mean to you, Steven. And Steven's like, yeah, he totally is. And Hotch is like, if we let you go, the unsub is just going to be so much meaner to you, Steven. You should just like tell us his name. And Steven tells Hotch that his whole family worked for the unsub's family for generations. Get it? Literally subservient. And a legacy. Awesome. McGee is in with Hotch the entire time and just doesn't say anything. He just kind of stands there. And I'm like, okay. But anyway, the unsub is Charles Holcomb and he owns the old meat pla- meat packing plant. So, uh, you know, that tracks the 130,000 square foot facility. Cut to Maggie strapped to a gurney, much like the old man uh, was in the beginning. The unsub, who we now know is Charles, uh, dress, he's dressed up like the surgeon and he's whistling as always. And he's pushing Maggie down the corridor. Maggie says, that old man was begging. I'm not going to give you that, you son of a bitch. I'm not going to beg you for anything. And, and Charles just looks down at her and says, but you will beg, whore. And then the BAU shows up and they're like, FBI, don't do it. And Holcomb is like, let me do my job. And then he lunges at Maggie with a knife and the BAU shoots him. And as he's dying, Maggie, still strapped to the gurney, demands to like see his face. Yeah, because he was covered in like PPE and stuff. Yeah, pre-COVID PPE is wild to see. Yeah. So Morgan pulls off the, the, the mask and Maggie looks at Charles while he dies and she's still strapped to the gurney and she says, I won. She's iconic. Oh, God. 
Oh my goodness. That episode is a trip. It's wild. I'm so delighted that I was able to cover it. I hope you guys enjoyed that. (laughs) All right. Uh, Should we transition into my little uh, deep dive? Yeah. And I just want to say that I, while you told me what you're doing the deep dive on, I know nothing about it. It's one of, it's, I think maybe the first or second time that I've, I'm going into this completely blind. I didn't want to talk about like a uh, you know a serial killer killing uh, sex workers and people who you know are not living their best life necessarily, but this did remind me of Saw, which made me think of uh, you should uh, you know cue some circus music here, McGammy Manor. The McCammy Manor, uh, according to the Wikipedia, uh, is an American nonprofit haunted house attraction where, quote, survival horror events are performed. Uh, it is considered a pioneer of the notion of, quote, extreme haunts, uh, and it was founded in San Diego by resident Russ McCammy and originally located on his property. So basically, it is a haunted house, sort of, uh, that operates year-round, like, uh, 24-7, 365, and the tour can last up to eight hours. And the thing is, it's free. You don't have to pay to get in. Actually, you can win up to 20000 for successfully completing it, like going through the whole house, but no one has. What? Yet. No one has made it through, uh, and their payment is bringing dog food for his dogs. Oh my god, Abby. Abby, you and I are going to do it. No. Because here, here, oh, you'll hear. Guests at the Tennessee location have to be 21 years or older, uh, or 18 to 20 with parental consent. The Alabama location, 21. The tour is from 8 to 10 hours. Like I said, no one has made it all the way through. Originally, you were not allowed safe words, which would just let you leave. But now you do have the option for safe words that end the experience immediately. The house has a waiting list of 24,000 people. But here's the thing. You have to sign a liability waiver to participate. During the tour, the employees may physically assault you, waterboard you, force you to eat or drink unknown substances, have, you know, bound and gagged and engage of, of other forms of Cycle of of physical and psychological torture. Oh my god! They, uh, you know, might pull your teeth. What? They might cut your hair. And there was also a controversy where one participant said that during her experience, she repeated uh, for the safe word for several minutes, but they wouldn't stop. It was like, and she later had to go to the hospital for extensive injuries. You also might be drugged while you're there. This waiver 
is 40 pages long. Oh my god. And the possible risks are, you know, teeth extracted, being tattooed, and having your fingernails removed. I tried to pull some stuff up, and literally, the YouTube videos are age-restricted. The warning on their website is... Warning and haunt rules. You will experience the following at McCammy Manor. Intense audio, lighting, extreme low visibility, strobe and fog effects, damp and wet conditions, physically demanding environments, close contact with creatures you might be touched, very real and graphic scenes of horror. Do not recommend if you are pregnant, claustrophobic, have seizures, heart or respiratory uh, conditions, or are a big wimp. No smoking, drinking, eating, running inside, or touching of props and or actors. McCammy Manor retains exclusive rights to use all visual images captured for public and private showing. I mean, it's almost like they should offer more money. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, to do this. Like, $20,000 is not that much. Do you want want me to read some of their uh, frequently asked questions? (laughs) Yes, yes, I'm obsessed with this. How many people per group? Descent is recommended as a solo experience, but we could run two for the hour of six plus personalized interactive experiences. How long does it take to go through? Depends on how well this guest does. Is there security? You are being filmed every moment you are at McCanny Mammer. Every group is uh, filmed during their tour as well. Will the actors touch us uh, or can we touch the actors? Yes, the actors will come into contact with you, but you cannot touch the props, actors or props. So I'm assuming that means you can't be the one to initiate contact with them. I mean, it just basically sounds like you go there and they torture you. And like, it's like, it's not like a, you know... I would never go myself. I, I know that I would have a panic attack. I am very intrigued. That being said, I'm very intrigued and would love to see what it looks like. I might, uh, uh, might look around their, you know, poke around their YouTube channel. Yeah, I mean, I would be, I would totally sign up and do it if it wasn't like they're actively, like, physically torturing you. Oh, they 100% are, though. Like, that just seems ridiculous. Like, to me, I'm like, you know, lock me in a room and then I have to get out of that sounds like fun. But uh, yeah, wild. Absolutely. And for $20,000, it's like not worth it. No, uh, they also deduct 500 from the prize for every failed challenge or use of profanity. Guests are forced headfirst into a storm drain runoff. Actors force this woman to do sit-ups while they take her hostage. Well. (laughs) Oh, my God. I can't believe. Yep. Anyways, that's McKimmy Manor. I'll read the rest of that article at a later date. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I was getting too invested into it. Um, But that that made me, this this episode made me think of it. Should we rate this episode? Let's rate this fucking episode. What do you? What did you think about the criminal slash serial killer? Oh, uh, I didn't really care for him. I feel like we didn't get a whole lot of like background or motivation. 
But, like, I feel like it would have been scarier or, like, it could have been a little bit more compelling had we had more information. I think the most compelling part of it was Steven, his little buddy. But, and, and there, and Steven, like, the actor that played Steven, I really kind of enjoyed because he had, like, this whole monologue and, like, there just isn't enough time to include everything. So I was like, I'm just going to leave it out. But, like, that actor did a really good job. Um, it would have been nice to see the two of them together, but we did, we didn't get to see that. Um, and I believe this relationship a lot less than I did the ep- the last episode with the two brothers. I agree. Um, do you want to give him like a seven? <sighs> I mean, the idea that like um, uh, rich rich white boy millionaire doesn't know what to do with all of his money so he like starts kidnapping people and torturing them is like super not uh original all right do you want to give it a higher score then why don't we just give it a 10 yeah okay forensics and context i mean it was wild i think the only context we really got was the whole um the like house cleaner thing which i thought was really interesting but we didn't really go past that because we did spend so much time with Maggie in the house, which I really appreciated. So we can definitely give a lot of points for that, even though Maggie is a wild character. But I don't think there was a lot of forensics in this. Uh, should we give it a 15? Yeah, probably. Character development and character arcs. I mean, I liked knowing that uh, Goobs was hit on by all the sex workers, but outside of that, I feel like we didn't really get much character development. I like uh, Morgan telling, um, what was her name? Mona. Yeah, Mona, that that, the world needs more, needs all of its beautiful ladies. I like that a lot. That was so sweet. Yeah. Ten? Sure. Script writing. Listen, I love this episode, but in the way that I love Compulsion. Uh, You know, we've had so many stellar, well-written, well-constructed episodes. And as much as I love this, it does not fall into that category. (laughs) No, it doesn't. Do you want to give it like a 12? Yeah, probably. Background characters. Maggie needs points. Maggie needs points and Detective McGee. I really liked um, I'm, I'm not a hundred percent on Maggie's character. I feel like she's all over the place, but I did enjoy her. But because we took off so many points for the episode being wild in other categories, I do feel comfortable giving a higher score for background characters. Yeah, me too. Do you want to give it like 18? Yeah, I think that's fair. All right. Mike gives us a grand total of 65. Follow us everywhere at Unsubs Podcast. Please give us a review on Apple Podcasts. We don't have to write anything, you can just hit that five star and move on with your day. You can follow me, yournewapartment.tumblr.com, or check out my expired podcast, Your New Apartment, which is available on all of your streaming services. Yes, and you can follow me at the Screen Podcast on Instagram and all streaming services. 
check out our website, check out our merch, and uh, let us know what you thought of, think of these episodes. Yeah, yeah, we would love to have feedback from y'all. And, and tune in next week for the last episode of season two. It's, oh my gosh, let me get sentimental. 